Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. From KQED. From KQD in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. There's more to Puerto Rican food than mofongo, just like there's more to Puerto Rico than old San Juan. A new cookbook by Ileana Maisonette, Diasporican, shows just how wide-ranging and interesting the cuisine can be in the hands of someone less concerned with purity than the reality of her neighbors in Sacramento. Maisonette is a fiery, funny, historical-minded writer. Don't pick up this book expecting only recipes. LA Times columnist Gustavo Ariano called this book a decolonization of the cookbook world. So for this installment of All You Can Eat, Luke Tsai will join the show to chat with Maisonette and check in with the proprietors of several Puerto Rican restaurants from around the Bay. That's all coming up next after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Ileana Maisonette wants you to know that her relationship to food is not precious. She learned to cook from her mother and her grandmother, who were working people. For them, there would be no passing down of heirloom cookbooks, words of encouragement, or time to enjoy a childhood, she writes in the introduction of her new cookbook, Diasporican. And yet, as she told Luke Tsai for a story published this month at KQED, I can see the beauty in a lot of stuff that people pass every day. Things like the everyday ritual of coffee, or a simple pot of beans cooking on the stove of her godmother, Nina Didi. Welcome to Fora, Ileana. We're so glad to have you. Thanks for having me. Also joining us this morning for this segment of All You Can Eat, we have Luke Sai, of course. Welcome, Luke. Thanks, Alexis. So, Ileana, Luke mentioned it in his story about you, and I want to mention it again because it's really true. You are a great writer, and the voice in this book is really unique and powerful. So I thought you could just start out by reading for us this paragraph on Nina Didi and her beginning to prepare her beans. It's on a page 60 of your cookbook. If you're reading along with us at home. Okay. Nina Didi is the last of the unconditional lovers. She's a part of Stockton's Chicano history, a romanticized and idealistic time that will never exist again. It's in the way she talks, the way she cooks, and the way she chooses her partners. It's also in the way she unquestionably allowed me to collapse into her arms and weep after my Nana passed away. When I take a seat on one of her overstuffed couches in the dark living room, I have a partial view of the kitchen. Its golden light spills in and there's a sliver of a view of Nina Didi standing at the stove. It feels like I'm peeping through a keyhole. She's starting her beans. She makes beans at least once a week. She maniacally straggles through her (laughs) patinaed kitchen the floor groaning under her feet, the gas range heating up the entire room. She fusses and curses everyone. Her voice is raspy with a tinge of Chicana cadence bouncing off her bower bowls and pouring out of the doorway. She fills her pot with tap water. The beans that are soaked overnight follow. She roughly slices white onions and garlic into the pot they go. The galley kitchen won't hold more than one cook at a time, and yet we seem to take our turns impatiently passing the cauldron of bubbling beans. They'll bubble away for hours, just the right amount of time for a visit, a coffee, a game of dominoes, and possibly an unplanned nap. 
That was Ileana Maisonet reading from her new cookbook, Diasporican. And I love it, this beautiful image of Nina D.D. and a sliver of light, this Chicana Puerto Rican sisterhood happening out in Stockton. Um, Luke, you introduced us to Ileana. How did you come to know her work? Yeah, I think, you know, it must have been around, I want to say, uh, 2014, um, I was the food editor at the East Bay Express. I was writing restaurant reviews for them. And I think, you know, there's just a really small community of writers who are covering food uh, in the Bay Area and especially in the East Bay. Um, and everyone kind of gets to know everyone. And I think at that time, Puerto Rican food in the Bay Area was just sort of starting to um, come onto my radar. And Ileana was just like the biggest advocate uh, for that scene, you know, like if there was a new food truck, if there was like a pop up in the back of a nightclub, she was on it. Um, she was there to give all the details. Um, and, you know, I think I felt, um, you know, I, I don't want to speak for Ileana, but I, I, I always felt a sort of kinship with her because, you know, at least, especially at that time, there were not a lot of people who were covering sort of like the little mom and pop restaurants uh, in the Bay Area, the little sort of immigrant run uh, spots. Um, and and I was on that beat and she was on that beat. You know, she, she is uh, just such a huge cheerleader um, for um, and, and connoisseur of like the little out of the way diner, um, you know, these restaurants that are just kind of serving and feeding everyday working class people. So I always admired that about her. And so when I had a chance uh, to work with her a few times, you know, on, on, on different stories, um, I was really happy to have a chance to do that. Yeah. Ileana, let's talk about your story and your family's story. Uh, the, maybe the most obvious place to start is how'd your Puerto Rican family come to Northern California where, you know, maybe... That's a that's a less well trodden path in this diasporic map. Yeah, um, I mean, there's no telling why my grandpa decided on specifically Sacramento, California. I mean, if you look at California, it's not hard to figure out why he would want to move to California. A lot of the landscape is kind of similar to Puerto Rico, especially the coast, you know. And when he got here, he started like um, a landscape business. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, those two it's kind of easy to kind of create a life in California when you're doing that kind of work. Um, He definitely didn't want to move to the East coast because there were a lot of Puerto Ricans, but also a lot of the skeletons in his closet were Mm. in the coast. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to spoil that story. It's in the book. It's in the book, but there's a love triangle. It's, it's intense. And he definitely didn't want to be near any of that, you know, um, So I have no idea why he chose Sacramento, to be honest with you. Like, there was a huge... I know that he never felt, um, like, alone, even though there wasn't a a ton of Puerto... Well, there wasn't any Puerto Ricans when they got to Sacramento in 53, but there was already, like, a ton, you know, of Mexicans. And Mm -hmm. so he was able to kind of um, navigate parts of the community without having to speak a lot of English because of that. Mm. And so... You ended up then growing up in South Sacramento, super rich with, you know, Mexican culture there. And how did your family end up kind of fitting in, like you specifically? 
Um, I don't know if they ever fit in because, you know, my my mom and all her siblings, they range from different colors from like, you know, negrito to super blanco. So people were always confused. Are you guys mixed? Like, what do you mix with? You mix with this, you mix with that. So they never necessarily fit in, I would say. Um, and I definitely, the same thing with me. Like, you know, growing up, people are always like, what do you mix with? Are you mixed with black and Mexican, black and Tongan? And I'm like, oh my God. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, it's a similar experience i feel like you know with them growing up and me growing up too Mm. and that actually i mean that makes its way right into your food you know you're talking about making tortillas in here you're talking about nina Didi's beans like tell us how how that ended up you know playing right into the title of the book diasporican i mean you know my grandma when i was young my grandma would make menudo and tortillas from scratch on sunday and i never questioned that ever as not being puerto rican or even if it was mexican like it was just there. And I never thought twice, to be honest, you know? So I think that there really isn't a lot of um, documentation about the Puerto Rican community from a West Coast perspective, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, I know that a lot of Puerto Ricans, you know, Puerto Ricans are already used to Puerto Ricans being on the East Coast, you know, with New York Ricans and stuff like that. And they've already come to terms and a lot of them have already accepted that but when it comes to west coast you know geographically a lot of puerto ricans on the west coast are just kind of their spanish is a little more mexican the way they cook already is kind of a blend of mexican foods and i had to acknowledge that you know like a lot of the things that i eat on a regular basis i cook mexican food more than puerto rican food <laughs> so you ended, yeah i mean you ended up coming up with a cuisine that's kind of like a blend of blends because we already maybe we should talk a little bit about how traditional Puerto Rican food or, you know, came to be, like what its different influences through colonialism, through the native cultures of Puerto Rico. Talk to us a little bit about that. Well, I would never change the recipe. When I cook Puerto Rican food, it's Puerto Rican food. I don't try to alter too much. Like if I'm going to cook my grandma's recipes, I'm going to cook her recipes. But if I cook other things, like, you know, in my book, when I cook the Puerto Rican lap, it gives me an opportunity to kind of, merge two different cuisines that I'm a little I'm a little familiar with one and I'm a lot familiar with the other one but together they make sense to me you know what Mm -hmm. I mean Mm -hmm. so tell us more about that on like a flavor level uh tell maybe people don't know what that food is (laughs) so maybe lap is generally like a salad and most of the times it's made with raw meat but you know nowadays they cook they have it available with like cooked meat but um, it's like a dish that I learned when I lived with the Lao family. It's a Lao dish. And I, when I was watching them cook, I was about 16 when I lived with the family called the Kamsalis. Because, you know, my mom kicked me out and whatever. And by watching them make the dish, though, I was like, damn, like a lot of these ingredients are like really similar, you know, in Puerto Rican food, especially when it comes to sofrito. And then it wasn't until later on, though, that I thought, I wonder if I, you know, can use sofrito that I have already made, right? Because I already pre-make it and I freeze it. I wonder if I can use sofrito that I already have as opposed to using, you know, these fresh ingredients that I don't have on hand right now. Let me see if it can work. Yeah. And they yeah. use already like a lot of, they use, you know, culantro, which is what we use, which is called recal. They use shallots. We use onions. They use a lot of garlic. We use a lot of garlic. They use a lot of cilantro. We use a lot of cilantro. They use the tomatoes. We use, I mean, to me, it was just like kind of a no-brainer, you know? Yeah. And, you know, culantro you mentioned. I mean, what is its relationship to cilantro? 
So, I mean, Culanto grows. The difference is that cilantro was, I don't know if they were brought to Puerto Rico at the same time, because, I mean, technically everything is brought to Puerto Rico, of course. <laughs> but I do know that Culanto does grow wild in Puerto Rico. Like, I've seen, you know, my family, like, literally go out to the yard, and it's it looks, you know, it's just grown in patches like dandelion leaves, kind of, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I got. I have some in my yard. I'm always like, where, where, how do I use this? You know, it's, uh, <laughs> um, you know, uh, Luke, I, you know, when we hear about food with California influence, you know, maybe this isn't what people are necessarily thinking of. Yeah, a hundred percent. You know, I, I feel like whenever you hear California, whatever, you know, Cal Italian, Cal Chinese, Cal Vietnamese, you know, when I hear that, I think, Okay, well, this is going to be kind of an upscale version of the cuisine. And, you know, they're probably going to have a lot of really beautiful produce that that comes from sort of like a name brand farm, you know. Um, and, and you know, this is like the sort of thing that you might find at, at Chez Panisse or one of its um, many descendants. descendants. Um, and I don't think that's what uh, Ileana is doing. Like, it feels to me like a much more organic and natural uh, incorporation of these different influences in, in this very everyday, um, matter-of-fact way. Yeah. We're talking about Puerto Rican cuisine in the diaspora, particularly here in Northern California as part of our regular All You Can Eat series with Luke Sai about Bay Area food cultures. And we're joined by Ileana Maisonet, chef and author. Her debut cookbook, Diaspora Rican, a Puerto Rican cookbook, just came out or just coming out in October of 2022. It is very beautiful. I can tell you that. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more on Puerto Rican food after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about Puerto Rican cuisine here in the Bay Area and in Northern California. It's part of our All You Can Eat with Luke Sai series about Bay Area food cultures. And we are joined by Ileana Maisonet, chef and author, debut cookbook, Diaspora Rican. A Puerto Rican cookbook is coming to shelves near you. And I wanted to ask you, Ileana, about this image that's on the front of the book. It's this beautiful brown hands and coral nail polish, all this jewelry. And then what are these hands holding? What are these, these stacks? Other uh, arepa stuff with like a seafood salad. Mm. T- tell us about who, who, what, where did this image come from? 
Um, so, I mean, the hands belong to my mom and all that mm. jewelry is hers, but she's also wearing some of my grandma's jewelry. Like she's wearing some of her gold rings and the Puerto Rican flag bracelet were all my grandma's stuff. And, um, you know, my mom was on set with me pretty much every day because she wanted to, you know, overlook the overseer of cooking, you know, <laughs> make sure that the, uh, the stylist were you know just doing the proper things and all that stuff and um i think that 10 speed already had an idea of two of the recipes that they wanted on the cover and one was kind of gisa and the other one i can't remember but they were definitely already aiming for those two things and then um one of the days that the book designer betsy wasn't there we were just kind of like running amok i kind of feel like we were just kind of experimenting and suspending pork chops from midair and all kinds of shit like that. <laughs> <laughs> but then, um, you know, we made these arepas and I kind of wanted to, I knew that I wanted to do something stacked because it was like a big kind of, um, it was kind of like a big food blog styling thing, like a couple of years back, you know, to like stack the sandwiches, stack the ice cream mm -hmm. sandwiches. Yeah. But I definitely knew that I, I wanted something like that. So when we made the arepas, I said, you know, let's just stack them in my, my mom's hand as high as we possibly can go. Let's put, you know, the seafood salad inside. Let's keep the tentacles long, which is not traditional. You know, usually the octopus salad in Puerto Rico is like chopped up really fine. But I'm like, let's leave the, the tentacles intact, you know, just to create more drama. And she just happened to be wearing you know, like a dark kind of maroon velvet shirt that day. This is how she dresses every day. I promise you. <laughs> and, um, you know, my brother-in-law, who's my photographer, Dan Liberty, he, you know, just got in really close. And, you know, we took a couple of shots. Jillian, who was my food stylist, she added a couple of drips, you know, whatever. The drips are so good. This is just like right. this kind of red sauce just kind of dripping down the fingers. Exactly. She's like, you know, more. She's like, more drippy. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and then, you know, we took the shots and Dan, he printed it out. You know, he had like a big color printer on site and his studio. We printed it out and we put it on the wall next to the other covers and me and him, we just kind of huddled in a corner and we looked at each other. We're like, this is the, that's cover. the one, that's the one, that's the one. We know it, but we just have to get 10 speed to approve it. So now we hope that they also, you know, believe in us to enough to say that this is the cover too. So, you know, one of the issues that you kind of deal with in the book is this kind of idea of purity weekends and maybe pushback for, you know, moving the cuisine outside of where maybe other Puerto Ricans might be comfortable with it? You know, the point, the Puerto Ricans, in a way, I totally get, no, I entirely get where they're coming from. You know, like, in a, in a world where they're currently, you know, they're dealing with Maria, they're going with, they're going dealing with Fiona, they're dealing with, you know, venture capitalists moving to the island and, you know, out buying everybody and they're dealing with displacement. They're dealing with all the that we don't really have to deal with. So I get that some of them feel like food is like the only thing that they can control. I get that. However, a lot of the Puerto Ricans also don't really think that if you don't live in Puerto Rico, that you're a Puerto Rican. If you don't speak Spanish, you're not a Puerto Rican. They have a lot of guidelines to, <laughs> to assure you that you are not one of them. You know, they kind of create a divide. But the weird thing is, is like, all of those things about us, the displacement and us not being able to live there and us not speaking Spanish, those are all by design. 
So by you doing that, you're essentially saying that you're siding with the people that don't want us to be on the island anyway. Mm-hmm. And God mm-hmm. forbid that one day with all the things that are going on there with gentrification, God forbid that you have to deal with displacement in the near future and become a diasporican like the rest of us. Mm-hmm. Hey, look, I feel like in your work, you probably run into this phenomenon in in its with its own particular you know features in other, you know, reference to other food cultures. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, I feel like food is just so tied up in people's identities, you know, and I think especially at this particular sort of political moment, um, a lot of people are sort of like really asserting a lot of pride um, in their identities in a way that maybe they didn't feel comfortable doing before. But the way that that manifests itself, you know, and I think at different points in my life, I've probably been one of those people who have been like, you know, Chinese food or Taiwanese food, for instance, has to be this way. And if you introduce some new ingredient uh, that it doesn't belong there, you're not doing it right. And you're or you're like making Chinese food for white people. You know, <laughs> and I think once in a while, you know, in, in this sort of like post George Floyd world, you know, sometimes it just manifests itself in like particularly toxic ways. Sometimes, you know, I got caught up in, in a kerfuffle because I wrote a story that was about this chef who was um, d- doing kind of like an elevated Chinese American food, sort of like an elevated Panda Express, <laughs> if you will. Um, <laughs> and I wrote a story about it. Um, and what what ended up happening was there was this sort of like Instagram like a Chinese cooking influencer who sort of took that interview, like c- copy, like cut, like cropped it <laughs> just so um, the, the chef happened to be a Korean American adoptee. Um, but if you just looked at his last name, it seemed like he might be white. Right. Mm. And so it was cropped in such a way to make it seem as though. Um, this was like a white person, like bastardizing Chinese food and how dare they, um, it got, you know, like thousands of people liked this post on Instagram and I just felt like, what are you, what are you doing? Mm. (laughs) You Mm. know, like what, like this is, this is so transparent. Like you're, you're just trying to get this sort of like rage clicks. Mm -hmm. Um, and like you're stripping away this person, this Asian American chef's like identity, you know, and for what and for what? So that you can sort of show that you're the only one who knows what this pure mm. cuisine is. Um, so I think that, as, you know, as time has gone on, I've just tried to be a lot more careful about that. You know, I think like the traditional stuff is good. Preserving traditional food ways is so important. Um, but it shouldn't be done in this kind of gatekeeping sort of way where you're keeping people out. We're talking about diasporic food cultures, in particular, Puerto Rican cuisine in Northern California. This is part of our regular All You Can Eat with Luke Tsai series, and we are joined, of course, by Ileana Maisonet, chef and author, with her debut cookbook coming out, Diasporican. We would love to hear from you. What is the most memorable Puerto Rican dish that you have had? You can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We're KQED Forum. And, of course, the email is forum at kqed.org. We're going to add another voice to our conversation, another chef. Lulu Marquez now is the chef owner uh, of Casa Borinquena in Oakland. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. 
Thanks for joining us, Lulu. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, your restaurant. Well, we're actually not open yet. Um, we open next month. Um, I own a vegan Puerto Rican restaurant in Oakland, California. Um, I went vegan with my restaurant, well, with my business about two years ago <laughs> during the pandemic. And that was a personal choice because I had stopped eating meat and I just felt that I wanted to introduce that to my own business and I did it. And during that time, I have to say that I, I got, a, I basically started my business almost from the beginning because the negative, I guess I would call it negative press <laughs> from mm -hmm. my, from my own people was not too good. Um, they weren't very happy. I got a lot of messages, you know, telling me that I can't create a dish without Benin. You know, pork is, you know, based in a lot of our dishes. And I was basically told that I would not be able to do that. Um, but this was my own personal journey that I was doing. And I just wanted to, I wanted it to reflect on my business. So I decided that this is what I wanted to do. Well, and I imagine you also probably found some support as well from people who did want to see this kind of cuisine exist for themselves. Yes, I actually, the um, the vegan community was very welcoming. Um, that was such a scary time just for everything, just in general. Yeah. Um, I wasn't operating, you know, I couldn't, you know, operate my business. So, you know, taking a, a, a leap like that during that time was just so scary and to have you know this community welcome me in and you know I started getting messages from you know other Puerto Ricans that are vegan saying they're happy that you know that I did this mm -hmm. so you know I started looking at it a little bit more positive I guess I was, you know at one point I you know I questioned what I did what was I doing was this something that I should have done um because you know Puerto Rican dishes are so you know they're so delicious and you know, you usually add pork to the beans, you know, you add pork to your con gandules, you know, pork is the center, you know, of so many dishes. So I did question, you know, what am I doing? You know, what, what am I doing? Um, so here I am now, two years later, and um, I think that this was a good move. Yeah. So what is the kind of signature dish that you pull out to be like, listen, Vegan Puerto Rican food can work. Try this. Uh, well, my signature dish is um, arroz con gandules, maduros with our chicken. And um, we have like a salad that we also do. So we do a, like a combo plate. Um, so we have a, a sea tan chicken that we do. It's like um, a pollo ensaboyado. That's usually like one of my big, you know, sellers. Um, I'm doing a strip pork now with Omni pork that I just started carrying. So I'm still working with it. Um, it's still a working process. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Ileana, you know, when people hear gandules, they w talk to us about that ingredient. I mean, people call it pigeon peas in, in English. Uh, but like, how do you think of that ingredient, which is so crucial in, in the cuisine? Um, I'm not really sure. Elaborate. Well, just like, you know, how, how would you use it? How do you think about it? Like, you know, do you, do you 
use it like a pea? Do you use it like a bean? You know, like how, talk to me about it. I mean, I don't even, I'm not entirely sure why it's even called a pea because it's used as a bean, but it grows you know, on a shrub. Mm. Like it's mm-hmm. literally just kind of like a bush that grows with, you know, inside of these little like kind of, oh, I just got it. They're like pea pods kind of. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I literally just got that light bulb moment. Um, but yeah, but most of the time they're used as beans. You can get them. I mean, most people use the canned ones that are already uh, cooked, you know, processed. But you can get them that when they're dried like that and there are other dishes that people use them in, like they use them in asopao, which is kind of like a rice-based kind of soup, you know, or they use them like in sopa de gandules, you know, with like platanos and stuff like that. So I think it's a great kind of, um, it's almost like a great vehicle to use in like vegetarian and vegan dishes, which is kind of weird that people would just assume that all Puerto Rican dishes have meat in it, because I feel like our the Puerto Rican food can easily be translated into vegetarian or vegan uh, got some uh, comments coming in. You know, I was born in Puerto Rico. This is Zoe writes. I was born in Puerto Rico. I grew up in New York, later lived in Georgia and now in Northern California. My family cooked Puerto Rican food all the time. And we all agree that there is no better comfort food such as abuelas, pasteles, arroz con gandules, uh, tostones, etc. Fighting, finding culantro is hard in this area, but sofrito is made the best we can. Thank you for this show. And I want to go to uh, Steve in San Francisco. Welcome, Steve. Hey, thanks a lot. Um, I'm from back east, and um, my culture is Italian, but, but I find plenty of good Italian food out here. The thing that amazed me that I missed the most from the East Coast was, was the Puerto Rican and Dominican food. Um, I worked downtown, and I lived up on, but I lived up on, in Hell's Kitchen on 50th at night. There was a restaurant across from me called the Old San Juan Restaurant. And he had different food each night of the week. And on Monday nights, it was oxtail. It wasn't the first time I had oxtail, but that was the time I fell in love with it. And it's one of those foods I can't eat around in polite company because I, 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 I'm sucking on the bones and all that. So, I, you know, and it was just, you know, in, in not just there, but in Jersey City, you know, there's like little places that serve that kind of food where I kind of walk in and, you know, it, it's just, you know, you, it, it's real basic delicious food it's beans rice and meat and um it's the one thing out here in san francisco that i kind of miss uh going into and um anyway old san juan restaurant was my first experience with puerto rican food and it it still sticks with me today because that was back in like 1996 that i (laughs) I love a meal um, that you remember for 25 years you know (laughs) (laughs) i know i rambled on but you know it's like i said the oxtail it's it's you know what I tell people? I say, you know how good it was? I tell them, I'm telling you about it. That's how good it was. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Steve, thank you so much uh, for no that problem, call. Man. Enjoy. Good hearing yeah. from you. Bye-bye. Yeah. Thank you. You know, Ileana, I mean, do you have uh, a meal like that you remember at another Puerto Rican restaurant where you were like 20 years later, you're still thinking about it? Um, I mean, not really because I didn't. I mean, go to a Puerto Rican restaurant. What? Like, I didn't go to Puerto Rican restaurants until I started writing about Puerto Rican restaurants, you know, because there, first of all, there's no Puerto Rican restaurants in Sacramento. I mean, really in anywhere outside of the Bay Area, there are no Puerto Rican restaurants. Um, there, you know, there might have been like one or two, like in the last like decade, but they've since closed. They maybe lasted like a year and then it just, you know, didn't work out or whatever. Um, and I mean, 
you know, like I, I don't know. I just didn't need to go to Puerto Rican restaurants. Yeah. Had my grandma. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, what about for your grandma? What is like the dish from her that you, that is like the most memorable for you? Just, I know this is going to sound incredibly boring, but I swear it's just her fried chicken and white rice. And like Puerto Rican <laughs> white rice hits way different because it's like cooked with like oil, you know? So it's kind of like, it has like a kind of like a, like a buttery, like a nutty flavor, you know? Mm. And then sometimes she would have beans, sometimes she wouldn't, but she would always have a pot of white rice on her stove always and eat that with my hands pop it in my mouth with like a little bite of like the fried chicken with a lot of the garlic flavor oh my god (laughs) (laughs) wait so uh can you give us like the 30 second rice recipe like what's the thing that people would do differently i mean buy the book of course so they can get the real thing i think it's because it has an obscene amount of oil Mm -hmm. that's it like it because some people will put the oil and then the rice and then toast the rice a little bit, you know, which is technically kind of like a peel off method and then add the water. But I mean, people, a lot of people will just add the oil, the water, the oil, and then dump in the washed rice. But it's the, they use a good quality, you have to use a good quality oil. So usually olive oil and then a good quality rice. Yeah. We're talking about Puerto Rican cuisine, particularly here in the Bay Area. We have been joined in this little segment by Lulu Marquez, now chef and owner of Casa Borinquena in Oakland. Thanks so much for joining us, Lulu. Thank you for having me. Yeah. We are also talking with Luke Sai, food editor of KQED, of course, who joins us regularly for this all-you-can-eat series about Bay Area food cultures, and Ileana Maisonet, chef and author. Her debut cookbook, Diasporican, a Puerto Rican cookbook, is why we are having this show. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more right after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about Puerto Rican cuisine in the diaspora as part of our regular All You Can Eat series with Luke Sai. We're also joined by Ileana Maisonet, chef and author. Her debut cookbook, Diaspora Rican, a Puerto Rican cookbook, is coming out. We'd love to hear from you. Do you have an experience to share with Puerto Rican cuisine? You heard Steve. He's been thinking about the oxtail he had in New York for 25 years. Maybe you've got one like that. 
maybe not quite that good. Um, you can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, or KQED Forum. And the email is forum at kqed.org. I want to talk a, a little bit about the other recipes that are in this book, Ileana, ones that, you know, you feel like might be uh, surprising for people to find and that really kind of get people inside your version of diasporican cooking. Um, I'm going to ask you again to elaborate. Oh, just like, you know, someone opens up a Puerto Rican cookbook and they see the list of recipes. What's the recipe in there that people might go like, huh, what's that doing in here? Um, in your cookbook? In my cookbook? I mean, so many. First, the one that I mentioned before, the Puerto Rican lap, and be like, what the hell is this going on in here? But also, I think maybe my mom's mushroom chicken too, because that's definitely not Puerto Rican. Mm-hmm. Mm. But even though it's not Puerto Rican, it's one of those recipes that um, I, I tried it out with my followers before I put it in the book. You know, and it was one of those one of my more popular recipes that they were willing to make, which is, you know, saying a lot because it has a lot of steps and it takes a little bit of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's um, let's add another voice to our conversation here. Uh, Jacqueline Roman, chef and owner of El Coqui Puerto Rican Cuisine in Santa Rosa. Welcome. Jackie, can you hear me? Thank you for having me, guys. Oh, thank you. Thank you for coming on. Um, why don't you talk to us just a little bit? Tell us about your your restaurant in Santa Rosa. Well, I've been in business. Uh, excuse my voice, by the way. I have a raspy voice right now This in the mornings. Uh, first of all, I want to thank Liliana for our book. Congratulations. Uh, thank you guys for having me on the show. Uh, as you know, I am the owner and the chef of El Coquí Puerto Rican Cuisine at 400 Mendocino Avenue in Santa Rosa. I've been there 14 years and I've been blessed. So all I can say is thank the Lord that he, we keep on going with uh, my grandmother's recipe as well as Liliana's. I know what she's talking about. It's funny, Liliana, because I have, I have 16 brothers and sisters. 16? Yes. <laughs> and they're married with different cultures. So I have Irish Rican. I got Mexican Rican in my, in my family. I got, uh, I have, you could name, I have, Nicaragua, I have Guatemala in my family because my nieces and nephews have been you know, married with other cultures. But when my grandmother used to cook too, mommy, that, um, <clears throat> she used to cook different cultures food, but she always, always put that spice of sofrito in her food. Mm-hmm. She never let go of sofrito. And we used to always call it like whatever it was. If it was Italian Rican, we're going to call it Italian Rican <laughs> because our spaghettis will have sofrito in it, you know? <laughs> So I, I I understand where she's coming from, and um, I grew up in New York too, and was raised in Puerto Rico in the summer. Grew up in in New York City real hard, in a way struggling all the time. Came from a very poor family, and we're here now. So I appreciate you guys inviting me. And Liliana, I'm gonna get that book, and I want you to come down and do a signage. Let's do let's get together so we have your. <laughs> A book signage and have some food out there for people just for your book signage. Yeah. Let's uh, make that grow. 
Uh, Jacqueline, talk to me about like what you see as the signature dish of your restaurant. Oh, my signature dish is el pollo al horno, which uh, it's a baked chicken with uh, I put bell peppers, onion, cilantro on it, and then my seasoning, and then I bake it. That one is my goal winning. I, I won that one several years ago with uh, in the Harvest Fair. Um, I also was uh, hearing the other uh, the other lady that was a chef that she does a vegan. Mm-hmm. It is possible to do vegans. We I do vegans myself. Um, and that my, one of my vegan dishes did won the gold also as well. So my signature dish is boyalona with my yellow Puerto Rican rice, the choice of black beans or red kidney beans or the red kidney beans with squash and potatoes. You can have the green plantains, totones, the yellow plantains, which is a sweet. And then I add the avocado salad on the plate on the entree. So that's my signature dish. That's beautiful. Ileana, talk to me about being part of this, you know, small but but intense kind of network of, uh, you know, Puerto Rican food people here in Northern California. Uh, in Northern California, there are no other. F- <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there, I don't know any other Puerto Rican food people in Northern California. I mean, there are a couple of us like that span, you know, across the country, but. I'm totally blanking. I'm so sorry if I am missing other Puerto Rican food writers that are in Northern California. Like, I or just can't... like the restaurant tours too. You know, pe- people like Jacqueline. Well, I mean, even like the restaurants. So, like Jacqueline is one of the few. Jacqueline and Chael from La Perla are, I think, one of the few who are actually Puerto Rican that own Puerto Rican restaurants. Because there's one in San Francisco that is not owned by a Puerto Rican. Um, you know, and of course, because we're in California, most of the cooks are like from, you know, Mexico or El Salvador. And there's another one that I think is like half Cuban, half Puerto Rican in the Mission District. That's not owned by a Puerto Rican. And I am not entirely sure on what background the people are who um, own soul food, even though their food is like legit good. I don't know if they're Puerto Rican or not. I'm, I don't know. So that's the thing. Even with the Puerto Rican restaurants, not all of them <coughs> are owned by Puerto Rican. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Let's bring in uh, Luis in the East Bay. Hey, welcome, Luis. Hi. Um, I just wanted to share that uh, my grandma was Puerto Rican, um, and she kept up this tradition during the holidays, during Christmas specifically, of making pasteles and acapuria. And it, it was a family kind of dish where we all had to sit around the table and, and wayad to grate the, the yuca, the plantain, sweet potato. Kind of, it was a very labor intensive, but also a very kind of bonding experience with all of us at the table, passing around the, the, different, uh, the different items to grate and my, she would make coquito while we were doing that, so the, the adults would have a fun time and kind of enliven up the party and the festivities. And it was just a really great bonding experience. Um, I just wanted to share that that pasteles, acapuria, uh, con pollo, all those dishes have a really soft spot in my, my heart for my grandmother and her cooking, especially the since she's passed. Um, and I'm really excited about having this this uh, having this episode this episode on forum. Yeah. Hey, thank you, Luis. Really appreciate that. You know, Ileana, I wanted you to, you know, the, we've been getting some comments coming in, too, about this relationship. You know, a lot of people, their relationship with Puerto Rican food is really also their relationship with their family. You know, in some yep. cases, you know, their immediate family, in some cases, ancestors. To, your book kind of makes it, tries to make an interesting intervention into this, right? This isn't like a 
soft focus look at your family and Puerto Rican food. This is like a it's kind of tough in places. Well, yeah, because I feel like, you know, when I was hearing that my book wasn't um, marketable or there wasn't a market for it. And and I also heard that, you know, my book was too memoiry. You know, I just feel like with a lot of our culture's food, like, you know, anything that's not Eurocentric, I feel like, unfortunately, it just comes with a lot of stories. You know what I mean? Like, it comes with a lot of history. It comes with a lot of stories. And I, I just have a hard time finding a way to not have to deal with any of those things, including politics, when I'm talking about, you know, Puerto Rican food. But um, about the time, you know, that I started writing the book was also around the time that my grandma died. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that I knew it at the time, but it totally became like this sort of like grief process thing, Mm -hmm. you know, where a lot of the stories that are inside already come from my column, which is also after my grandma died so there was just a lot of things that i i kind of worked out in in the columns Mm -hmm. which led themselves to the book and i was just kind of like you know a a lot of families that are like mine kind of like you know keep all these secrets and they take them to the grave and that's just not me i'm not going to do that because in a way it's like even though a lot of our families see it as a way of like spreading what do they say airing out your dirty laundry (laughs) I don't see it like that. I see it as you you guys are just by us keeping the secrets that falls on us to protect the person, the abuser or the other person that's like inflicting all these traumas and the pains on the family. And then nobody's ever going to heal from that. We're just carrying kind of like, you know, the curses from here on out. And I'm not doing that. And by me not doing it and by me writing about it and kind of setting it free. I've been able to kind of like heal from those things. Yeah. You know, um, Jackie Roman, one of the things, you know, there's there's these really intense, you know, close focus family portraits. But there's also things going on with Puerto Rico in general. I mean, we've got Hurricane Fiona. We have, you know, the, the difficulties politically on the island. You know, I imagine people come into your restaurant and they need to sort of talk about those kind of things. Um, how does how does that work for you sort of as a community space for other Puerto Ricans to kind of reflect on what's happening in the, on the island? Um, a lot of them, you know, tells me, you know, how's my family? Because they all, a lot of my customers know that my father still lives there. My brothers, I got a lot of brothers and sisters, so half of them live there. So half of them live all over the States. Uh, um, my dad lives right on the beach in Ponce. It, literally his house is on the water. Um, but I heard they don't have no electricity. Mm-hmm. Right now, still, there's some parts uh, they try to get the tourism immediately prepared and and get uh, all the utilities and water going on that part so we could get back our tourism. But um, a lot of places still doesn't have water or doesn't have um, electricity. A lot of my cousins and um, brothers, they cut out before the hurricane came. This this just last one right now. So they're in Ohio right now because I have a lot of family all over the States. So they're gone. A lot of my nieces and nephew cut out also the young crowd that he want to deal with it. Like what happened to them, Hurricane Maria. But the old generation, um, unfortunately, you know, they, they get stuck on their own pattern. And I guess they're not afraid and, and they don't like to move and they don't like to do, they don't know how to hustle. You know, we grew up with no electricity. We grew up with no water, no bathroom, no kitchen. So we're used to that. You know, a lot of us that, 
grew up that way. The new generation is hard for them, you know. Mm-hmm. They'll go crazy. They don't have a cell phone. You know, <laughs> us will be in peace, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we live that way. But uh, the new generation is the ones that actually flew out, especially that I know my family, my cousins and my nephews and nieces. Yeah. But the old generation, they stayed. And right now, our customers walk in and they ask, or they text me, or they they shoot me out an email. And, and it's hard because, you know, we're coming to a, I don't know, this um, uh, climate changing is really bad right now. And it's yeah. just hitting all of us. You know, it's not like something that it's only one part. The only, the only sad part is that is Puerto Rico is only a hundred by 33. It's a very small Island. So it has to be very, you know, it's, it's dangerous. Yeah. Things that's going on. Other Thanks than that, sharing that. Know, oh, hold on. Just one sec, Jackie. This is a fundraising period for KQED public radio. For more information about how to support KQED, go to kqed.org. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Sorry, go ahead, Jackie. What were you saying? Um, other than that, you know, right now they're just, you know, trying to get back together, I guess. I heard yeah. some parts of Puerto Rico right now, they don't have uh, electricity or water still from Hurricane Maria. Mm. So, especially in the mountains from my, where my grandmother's from. My grandma's from, from Ayuya, so that's like the highest peak of the mountain of the whole island. And my dad is from Ponce, which is right by the beach. So the Ponce guy hit hard on this last one, too, I heard. Yeah. But other than that, everybody, you know, day by day, we all have to go baby steps. Yeah. yeah. Let's so, bring in uh, another caller. Jesus in Fremont. Welcome to the show. Hey, how you guys doing? Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Yeah, I just really wanted to say I think this segment is amazing. You know, like, I'm from the East Coast. I grew up in Hoboken, New Jersey, traveled the country as a a service member of the military. So I've been around the areas and, uh, you know, moving out here to, to, uh, you know, the Bay Area, it's been amazing to find Puerto Rican restaurants. Like, I, I found Parada 22 in San Francisco. And I remember growing up, like, missing Puerto Rican cuisine, and having my mom teach me while I was in the military so I can cook it for myself. And then just being able to come out here and see restaurants that are Puerto Rican was really nice. And, and it's a treat. And just yeah. listening to you guys talk about it and all these different people, um, it's just nice to have that community. Yeah. Pick up this book, Diasporican by Ileana Maisonette. You're going you're gonna to love it. <laughs> um, also, uh, Luke, for people who want to know, you know the rundown, of Puerto Rican restaurants in the Bay, as you see it in your head, like can you can you pop us a few more? Yeah, I mean, and Ileana knows way more than me um, about this, but you know, a, a couple people have mentioned uh, Soul Restaurant, which arguably, you know, probably the most prominent um, Puerto Rican restaurant uh, in the Bay Area in in San Rafael. Um, bad, ba- uh, bad bunny, uh, came through <laughs> with an, with his entourage, um, this p- couple weeks ago. Um, but, uh, I, you know, they do, they do really great food. You know, I keep it simple when I go there. I, I just get like, like Ileana's right. Like the w- white rice, you know, with a runny egg, um, and some of their like vinegary hot sauce. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm good to go, you know? And then the other restaurant that came up a couple of times is La Perla. Um, in Oakland, um, and again, delicious. You know, like it, it's uh, has its roots in this other spot. Um, like it used to be located in, in in inside of a convenience store. Now it has its own kind of brick and mortar spot. Um, they do delicious um, 
arroz con ganules, um, and um, they do the uh, p- the the roast um, pork on the weekends. Um, and I know Ileana has has praised it also, um, but with, but but with the crispy skin, um, and it, it's just amazing as well. Yeah, Ileana, I wanted I, I to oh, go. Oh, go ahead, Jackie. No. It's not Jackie, it's Jose Ortiz, Chef Ortiz. Oh, hey, you are there. The producer's I've chef. Here, <laughs> I've been here for 40 minutes. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yes, I am. Anyway, thank you for having me over here. I really appreciate it. And thank you to Liana and every other chef of Puerto Rican cuisine. And La Pella, I want to make a a straight statement that yeah we are authentic puerto rican food in bay area in oakland california and i had the opportunity to serve a lot of people around bay area most of my customers come from sacramento and san jose and from all over bay area the the it's been beautiful uh experience to be able to serve authentic puerto rican food like i mentioned it before yesterday that and and now in between fusion food, I don't, I mean, it's not like I don't believe, I don't really care about fusion food and a straightforward Puerto Rican from San Juan, Puerto Rico. My father was a chef for 30 years, someone in the Hilton Hotel. And most oh, of the, the recipe I learned is what from my mom and very authentic food. And yeah. straightforward with my food. I don't like nothing in between. <laughs> I, uh, I, you know, my wife Filipina, and I told her, if you ever uh, suggesting to cook some lumpia or Filipino food, I will divorce you, you know, because yeah, it's yeah. not my I'm agenda. so sorry that we we're, I have to cut you off. We got to just get out of the show right here. We've been joined by Luke Sai, food editor of KQED, Eliana Maisonet, whose new cookbook is Diasporican, a Puerto Rican cookbook. Also joined earlier by Jackie Roman of El Coquín. And as you just heard, Jose Cheo Ortiz of La Perla. Thank you so much for joining us. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Heising Simons Foundation, and the Bernard Osher Foundation, supporting higher education and the arts. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening 
because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.